So, Katrina, while you were gone, they voted me off the island for the terrible introduction I did. So. <laughs> oh, should we try this again? Yeah, they said we're going to try it one more time. Okay. I'll just be summarily executed or something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of James's evil genius plan to take over the internet. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. This show is sponsored by Heroku Postgres. They're the largest provider of Postgres databases in the world and provide the ability for you to fork and follow your database just like your code. There's easy sharing through data clips or just for your data, and to date they have never lost a byte of data. So go and sign up at postgres.heroku.com. This episode is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of RubyMine. If you like having an IDE that provides great inline debugging tools, built-in version control, and intelligent code insight for factorings, check out RubyMine by going to jetbrains.com ruby. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, Chuck is out today, so I'll be your host, James Edward Gray II, and with me today are Josh Susser. Hey, good morning from bright and sunny San Francisco. Katrina Owen. Good morning from the phone booth. And we have special guest Ernie Miller with us today. Good morning from considerably less sunny than San Francisco, but still awesome Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> Ernie, uh, this is your first time on the show. Would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm just this guy, you know? <laughs> uh, okay, let's move right. on. <laughs> so, uh, I've spent a lot of time um, working with Active Record. Um, I write a lot of a lot of Ruby gems that that uh, interact with it at levels that are frankly deeper than any man should go. And I actually recently gave a talk, uh, an intervention for Active Record, where I talked about some of those frustrations, which was a something of a contrast from the last talk, which was all about optimizing for happiness and things that make me happy. So uh, that's that's been an interesting kind of line to walk. I think we kind of know you as the happiness guy. You know, that talk is kind of gotten around and and uh, whenever people bring up Bernie Miller people think oh happiness but once we saw you get angry that was when you became really interesting yeah oh well yes <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, ma- a many faceted man I have all sorts of personalities no I, I I've really I've really uh, excited to be on the on the Ruby rogues and uh, and talk to you all and it sounds like we should have a have a great time talking about all the various warts of active record oh, oh I'm looking forward to it <laughs> So, so why don't you break it down for us? Like, what made you decide to give a talk called an intervention for Active Record? So, it's interesting. Um, a long time ago, and by that I mean, you know, in internet terms, maybe five, six months ago, I had actually posted something to the Parlay list um, about this, and I, I had been complaining about certain things regarding Active Record. And at the time, I had said, I think this is going to have to turn into a blog post or a, or a talk, Why I Hate Active Record. And I decided Why I Hate Active Record is probably not the best way to title your talk, uh, especially if you're going to submit to RailsConf. <laughs> so so uh, we went with an intervention for Active Record. But it's, it's really, you know, I've spent a lot of time, uh, like I mentioned before, writing, writing gems to to interact with Active Record, to modify its behavior in certain ways, to try to simplify certain things. And the more I dug into Active Record's guts, 
I started to realize there was a there was kind of an underbelly that that a lot of us we would rather not look at. We would rather just read the docs and and use them and trust that everything works the way the docs say they do. And and it got very frustrating. And I don't really know. I mean, I wish that I had, you know, at the end of the talk, uh, not to be all spoilery or anything, but at the end of the talk, you know, there's a call to action, right? And it's uh, gives some suggestions as where to start. But really, I don't know uh, how how much we can do to to fix it now. But it, it, it at least bears mentioning that there are a lot of gotchas that people just don't realize until they're, you know, neck deep in active record uh, code. I was, I remember hearing a few, few years ago about an application or a tool that was written for, I guess it was on the Unix platform and this is probably in the seventies. And I can't remember what it was. I think it might've been VI. And there was some problem with the interface, something that the creator thought, you know, no, I think maybe I, made a mistake here, but it's too late to do anything about because there are already seven people using this. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of think that this might be the same thing with Active Record as it's in use so many places that if you do decide to, for example, get rid of default scopes, mm. like what is the process for for doing that in a way that doesn't frustrate and make people's lives very, very difficult for a long, long time? Right. And Katrina, I'm glad you mentioned that because it reminds me of something that I had to cut from the talk for time, which is essentially our biggest problem now. And when I mentioned uh, that that active record in certain ways is is legacy, right? And and that all the good and bad that that entails, a lot of that means that you know because it's in use so many places, people are going to be you know super afraid that changes are going to break their code. And you know, for a lot of people. Active Record is, and I, I, I kind of have to chuckle when I say this, but it's as close to the metal as a lot of Rails developers get, right? They they consider that as like super low-level stuff. Oh, I'm hacking away at like my Active Record. And so because of that, it's like you're pulling the entire foundation out from under their building if you change Active Record behavior. Yeah, exactly. It was hard enough to go from like uh, Rails version 2 syntax to Rails version 3 syntax. It's a great example of a time when Active Record did go through heavy changes, right? <laughs> so I, I feel like we're getting a, a little ahead of ourselves here, talking about, you know, how to fix things. <laughs> we're engineers, isn't that what we do? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can talk about the, the problems first, and, and then uh, then perhaps that will guide us towards thinking about solutions. I have an intro to that. Okay. Uh, Ernie, during your talk, you said something that really piqued my interest. You said, believe it or not, not all opinions are equal. You have to make trade-offs whenever you exercise an opinion. Right. Would you talk talk about that a little bit? Right. So I think I think that a lot of the trade-offs that were made, and I'm I'm speaking, you know, as a third party here, not having been involved in the uh, original design of uh, the Active Record gem, at least. And so I think that a lot of the trade-offs that were made were toward ease of ramp up, right? And certainly the active record pattern in and of itself uh, is is designed for that. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about that is that, and I, I'm sure I'm sure this has been mentioned before, right? But when Martin Fowler wrote about the act, active record pattern, he he said it's a good choice for domain logic that isn't too complex. And he goes on to say things like. Uh, you know, if it's going to uh, 
be used on something that doesn't directly correspond to database tables, then you're gonna you're gonna run into you're gonna have a bad time. That's that's essentially what Martin Fowler's saying, right? And uh, if your business logic's complex, you'll want to use direct relationships, collections, inheritance, and so forth. And all of these things are things that got grafted onto the active record pattern using essentially everything that you're talking about there has been grafted on using class macros, right? Class macros are can be very handy, but a lot of times they're stand-ins uh, for, and especially whenever you look at some of the decisions that were made towards saying, let's say, has many whatever, right? And a bunch of options to that has many association, a bunch of configuration for one object, which really, if you if you were to approach approach something like, let's say, you know how carrier wave uh, works, where it mounts uh, mounts a, a, an object on a particular uh, attribute of a model. If you were to do something like that, well, then you can use all the things you already know about Ruby, right? So I'm going to subclass the has many association and make my behavior do whatever I need to do. And now I can see it instead of configure this this mega object uh, that associations done. But the the I guess to go back to answer your question, Katrina. Sorry, I do tangents. The thing about that. I think is, is there was a very strong preference toward class macros, even when plain old Ruby would have probably made more sense. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that um, class macros were chosen? Is that is it easier to understand a class macro? You said that it was part of some of the trade-offs that were made were part of simplifying the ramp-up time? Right. I think I think that class macros are superficially easier to understand. They they only become hairy once you start to look at how they're really implemented and need a behavior that's not actually provided via a configuration option. Yeah. Right. Okay. So so one thing I I think uh, is useful to pull into the conversation here is uh, when people talk about about ORMs, object relational mapping systems, the phrase that always gets used is impedance mismatch. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, even though uh, almost no one understands what impedance actually is in electrical engineering, <laughs> we, 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 all, we all sort of understand the, the, the problem that you have, uh, you know, one model, you know, and a second model, and you try and fit them together, and it's like a square peg into a round hole. And it just, you know, there's, it never quite fits right. So I think that a lot of the of the terrible stuff that's in the active record library is because of that impedance mismatch. And you know, so you have you know this you know object oriented API on one side, or mostly object oriented, and then you have this you know you know this relational database model on the other side, and you're trying to fit them together, and it's hard to fit them together. So. At one level, it's easier to like paint a square around the round hole and pretend like the peg fits. And so I think that you can gloss over a lot of the, the problems of trying to get the two layers to couple together effectively by pretending that it's not a problem. You just sort of, <laughs> you, you just dress it up and say, okay, this is just Ruby. Everything's great. Everything looks fine. But you're, you still have the reality of that mismatch that is never going to go away. So we were kind of talking about this a little bit uh, in the pre-call, but I mentioned that I'd been playing around with uh, SQL, S-E-Q-U-E-L, the database library, yesterday at work. And it has this kind of interesting thing where the the manipulations you do to it are kind of building up these queries, and it, it works on these data sets and stuff. And it, it's, it's so it's more low-level than... 
uh, active record. Uh, it's like a step above using the PG gem directly, but, you know, uh, a step below using something like active record when you're using this, uh, this kind of query syntax, the non-ORM version of it. But then it has an ORM on top of that. And what's interesting about its ORM is how it doesn't feel as much like an impedance mismatch in that the ORM is just kind of another one of these data sets that, that it's, uh, uh, building up and just kind of a specialized form of that. And it seems to flow more naturally, I think, than, than the, the divide between like active record and SQL, I guess, because there's not that step in the middle, you know? Well, I, I think that it lets you resolve that mismatch in your brain yeah, rather than, rather than, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hide the relational aspects of the, of the system. It, re, it, makes it brings them closer to the surface so that you can actually get your hands on them and and but i think that the problem with that is that superficially it looks simpler but all of that all the value that that the active record uh, pattern provides for you about mapping all that stuff into objects you don't have that anymore someone recently and i think it might have been glenn vanderberg was talking about how abstractions are always going to be leaky what you want is that they be leaky in expected ways like you don't want your abstractions to leak in unexpected and surprising ways and i think this is a lot of what this is all about is that the the surprises and the gotchas are what make this so inherently difficult to understand Sure. And and what I refer to that in my talk as is douchebag magic, right? You've got the good magic. And, and, and in fact, you know, in the active record documentation, you know, it actually says magic's not inherently a bad word is one of the guiding philosophies, right? So I can agree with that. But there's the good magic, the guy that pulls the rabbit out of the hat. And then there's the David Blaine Street magic guy that, that goes around and just like ruins people's lives. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen the videos, you should really look. Maybe we can link them in the, in the show notes. I really wish that I had time to show one of those videos and, and license to show one of those videos at RailsConf, actually. They're, they're pretty <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> So, so I think one of the things that both Josh and James, you both touched on is that this kind of magic that we do and, and, uh, and Katrina, you mentioned the leaky abstractions. That leakiness is inherent. Uh, Glenn's definitely right. And I think it was Glenn because I've had that talk with him before. And the thing about it is I've even gone the wrong way and I've had something of a shift in my way of thinking lately. A lot of the gems and a lot of the software that I've, that I've written has tried to further, you know, spackle the cracks that are in the in in the the face of active record. And in particular, I think that maybe the problem is not that we need to make the magic go further, but rather that we should strip more of the magic away. And you know, with Squeal, Abdi was really kind to give me give me some some kind words about Squeal when he when he uh, I think he made it one of his picks actually one one week. But the thing with Squeal is I tried to make the magic go further. I did things like made association names uh, more consistently reusable. So if you join an association by a particular name, you can also reference it in your wares and don't, you don't have to worry about how it's aliased whenever it's joined. Well, that's, that's cool and all, but it's going to break down sometime. And so I think, you know, stepping back a little bit, that I went in completely the wrong direction with Squeal, to be very honest. Um, you're not going to make the magic last long enough. So in all honesty, more magic needs to be eliminated from active record. Yeah, that's so I think that's an interesting point, but 
Uh, let's see. I can't decide how much I agree. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the overall sentiment. But like, so Katrina brought up the leaky abstraction thing. And one of the ones that uh, drives me crazy in uh, Active Record is like when you're doing a where clause and you want to go from just, you know, this value equals to this to this value is in this list. And that's like ridiculously weird, right? You have to like switch to the SQL version and put like a question mark inside the parentheses or something like that, right? Well, no. Well, no. You, know, you can you give it an array. Can you do the hash with an array? Yeah. yeah. It's, only, you, it's only if you do. It's not all, equal. It's only if you're using the SQL version, right? Then you have to, if you're using a SQL version, then you have to put parentheses and put the question mark inside the parentheses. Is that right? That's. That's true. Yeah, if you're okay, doing so, the SQL interpretation, interpolation, rather. Yeah. But like, why? I mean, when I put a string, I just put a question mark, and it knows to put the quotes for my string, right? So mm -hmm. why wouldn't it put the parentheses for my array? It can detect that I passed an array. You know what I mean? Like, why do yeah. I need to put those parentheses there? Oh, consistency. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's just weird. Like, it's the place where the abstraction leaks. In that case, I would prefer more magic, right? I would rather it just detected that I passed an array and put the parentheses around it. Um, yeah. You keep using that word magic. I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, good. Let's get a definition of magic. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so in Rails, magic is, yeah, we're just going to do the thing that you probably want to do because we assume that you know, you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. You know, it's, you know, mapping the name of a model to the name of a table is magic, right? But it's, it's really just following a convention. And most of what Active Record calls magic is, it seems like magic because it's doing your work for you because you you're doing things the active record way. The definition that I found of magic is the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. <laughs> I cannot wait for supernatural record. Uh, I'm all over that. I, 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 so, Josh, you bring up a good point. So. You said that magic in that definition is kind of like how Active Record intuits that the user model is connected with the user's table and then loads columns and stuff like that. That, that yeah. is another case where I would actually argue that I think the magic is great. I like that magic. Yeah, yeah. me too. And, and, and so I, I think a, a, a slightly more complicated example of magic is um, counter caches. Yeah, counter caches, I, I think, are, are amazingly magical because there's a couple pieces that happen and it's, and it's so awesome what it gives you. So all you have to do is add a little option to your belongs to association declaration saying, you know, counter cache true. And suddenly you've denormalized the, um, the counting of the child records and you know so if you have a post and it has a bunch of comment it has many comments and a comment belongs to a post and you say comment belongs to post counter cache true and then you put the comments count field into the the schema for the post suddenly every post knows how many comments have been made on it and you don't have to do a query to go count up all of the all of the comments and not only that, but you can query posts by which have the most comments, right? Query posts and bring back the one that has the most comments. Um, 
that's really magical. But uh, but if you once you look at the code for it, it's actually really simple what it's doing, and how it's how it's keeping the counter cache updated and in sync and and all of that. And also you see all of the places where it falls over and it can't keep up with what you're doing. So you right. you view that as a positive thing or a negative thing? Oh, I love it. I think it's great. So Ernie has an example that I just love in his talk that's my favorite of magic gone horribly wrong. Ernie, can you tell us about callbacks? Well, then the entire call will uh, will <laughs> have to be about all the craziness in callbacks. Okay. Did, didn't we already call someone back? <laughs> yeah, we <did>. <laughs> Katrina was disconnected from the phone booth. Right. So, so, so in Active Record, there is the concept of basically attaching to any number, any number of uh, methods that you might call on your on your object, and overriding their behavior. Of course, in Active Record, we call that uh, callbacks. And actually, it's it's mostly from Active Support, right? Most of the most of the behavior is actually part of the Active Support callbacks uh, module. But really, whenever you look at it in plain Ruby. This is the kind of thing that we would do with inheritance and super all the time. Like for instance, it is very nice. And I actually I had a I had a pretty good talk with DHH uh, over dinner the the night before I gave my talk. Where that was a that was a fun conversation to have. Actually, hey, my talk's the only one about Active Record at the conference. He's like, oh really? What's it about? I'm like, it's all the things that make me crazy about Active Record. It's kind of <laughs> like a roast. And but then DHH uh, had Ernie thrown out of the restaurants. <laughs> But you now he took it. He took it really pretty well. And and you know I think, gosh, I don't even know where to start with callbacks. Right. The thing about it is, there was when 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 David described what what he liked about them. He he liked that the behavior was de was declared at the very top of a file. Right. So you're you're saying you know after save do this thing. Right. And that's great as long as the behavior is super simple. But once you have callbacks being added by, let's say, gems, once you have callbacks being added from multiple locations, or you have callbacks on an association that may or may not be getting called whenever you save associations with their parent, things get really messy really quickly, and you end up with a kind of callback spaghetti, right? And the funny thing about it is, if you wanted, I mean, if you look at the way that Active Record actually implements callbacks for most of the 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 primary ways that we use them, right? So save and update. Um, I don't think commit is in that file, but if you look at the uh, the active record callbacks module, it actually shows that it is calling super eventually, right? It's getting the getting the behavior that comes from the rest of active record, but it wraps everything in this run callbacks uh, block, and so run callbacks is actually running running code that's generated from all of the various macros that you've called, right? So as you're calling, you know, after save, it's appending your after save value to a callback chain. And that callback chain can be, uh, I use the term loosely, uh, compiled, right? It gets compiled to a giant string of Ruby that then gets gets evaled into a, into a method that gets defined so that it's basically cached. And if you look at the actual output, like you can, you can do this for fun sometime, log into... Uh, you know, log into a server somewhere and pull pull out you know whatever your craziest code is, and actually grab the the callback from the. I think I have it in my in my slides. Actually, I'll give you the exact exact thing you can run. Right. So if if you want your save callbacks, for instance, instantiate a user or whatever your object is, 
and call underscore save underscore callbacks and then call compile on that and you'll get back the string that actually gets generated by active record it's a, it's a, just a huge um a huge number of if thens essentially that execute and and maybe call some automatically defined methods and and such on your on your class as well and all of this essentially to say do these few things before this other thing and do these other things after this this thing that you did right inheritance and super is great for that and it works it just works. I actually had people, and this is this is the problem, right? I think that people have gotten somewhat brainwashed by you know the Rails way of doing these things because I had people come up to me after my talk, and I had people email me after my talk saying, "So those demos you showed where you were just calling super in your you know creator update method, can I do those right now, or do I need to?" have an update to Rails to be able to do that. I'm like, yes, you can do that. It's Ruby. It just works. Ernie, you showed that example, <laughs> and I thought it was so awesome the way you just like, you know, this is what a before save looks like, and you override save, and you do the before thing, and then you call super, you know? And right. um, I actually took that example in the talk I gave at Scottish RubyConf, and I took it one step further, and I just defined, like, uh, in a simple active record-like thing, I just defined an empty hook method called before save, you know. And so, so you, then, <laughs> you're so going to love this subclass. All I had to do was override before save, and I didn't even need super, you know. James, you're you're going to love this one. You reinvented something that existed back in the two three days. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> so we got rid of that at some point, and and I thought to myself, oh, gee, you know, we could have actually had a template method that did all this stuff and called before, but no, we don't we don't do that anymore. Okay, so the there is a you know, in the in the Gang of Four Patterns book, Design Patterns. Uh, there's a pattern chain of responsibility, and I think that the active record implementation of callbacks is a a weird variation of chain of responsibility. And mm -hmm. you know, it, it does a lot of the stuff that the chain of responsibility is supposed to do, but the prescription for using chain of responsibility is you use it when multiple objects can handle a request and you don't know what they are explicitly. Right. And, you know, and, and you know, you want to dynamically specify those objects. With the active record callbacks, you're doing all of this work to compose up the, the responsibility chain. But the thing that's always handling the callback is the object itself, right? Or you have an observer that's hooked in. So, but there, but it, it's not really a job for chain of responsibility, right? So. It's, it's it's that's that's if you want some some level of some dy dynamism to it, right? And, and mm -hmm. it's not in this case. The thing that I liked about the the examples that uh, I was showing in the slides, and certainly uh, the example that uh, James re-implemented, is that you can just read the code. You want to find out what happens before save. Um, look at the before save method, let's say, or, you know, if you want to find out what happens, I, I think that, you know, it would probably require some, re, you know, creative renaming of certain methods inside um, active record. For instance, it's not the most intuitive thing to think that you need to define your own create or update method, like not create method, update method, but a method called create underscore or underscore update method, right? That's not the thing that I would think I would need to redefine if I wanted to do a, a before save, for instance. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I think that the, um, and this is a great example of, of sort of application of patterns gone wrong. Yeah. And but <laughs> if you look in the callback code, I mean, it's this 
it's this massive, like, queue system with, you know, things built in there. And I guess the, the argument for it, if I could try to make one, is that it's this kind of inheritable queue that then can be manipulated by subclasses and stuff. But so, like, that only comes into play, I guess, if you're doing, like, STI, right? Or something like that, because mm-hmm. you need the, mm-hmm. you need the inheritance, right? Right. So, I don't know, it's just like, it is the most unbelievably complicated thing you could possibly imagine for something that's a fairly simple concept, you know, and so you have to say, so is this level of complexity needed so that in STI I can remove a callback that my parent added or something? I mean, like... That's the edge case that this thing ends up making almost central or something. You know? Yeah, but, but 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 simplifying that to standard OOP inheritance would also solve that problem and even more simply. Right, because you could override the method to do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Okay, so what's the trade-off here though? Okay, so so this is back this is back to what I was I was talking about before and we, we sort of wandered off away from from that, so maybe I can try and make that point more stressfully. Or is or forcefully um, is is that you have you have this inherent impedance mismatch. You have the you have a, a relational model in your database, and you have an object-oriented model up in Ruby, and it, it's just the laws of physics. You can't make those two things work together perfectly, and so the art of building an ORM here is you know, it's like uh, James is talking about how you want your abstraction to leak in the right ways. If you look at act- at the active record. Uh, library, it leaks in all sorts of really weird ways. Like, oh, give me a string of SQL, <laughs> that, you know, a fragment of SQL that I can compose together with some other strings. Okay, yeah, isn't that great? Uh, that yeah, that's way too leaky. But so I I think that the a lot of the oddness that's in the Active Record API and all of these weird warts and and strange applications of OOP patterns are. I, I think sometimes that decision about where you want, like which side of the model you want to favor, sometimes it's better to favor exposing the SQL, and sometimes it's better to pretend like everything's object oriented, and then sometimes they don't fit together. Okay, so so I'm I'm talking in circles now. Right. <laughs> Somebody save me. No, so that's that's actually, and I was, I think we then veered off on the topic of magic, right, from that, because I was basically saying that I think that Active Records ma- maybe needs some of its magic scaled back, right? Not the magic that you were referring to, for instance, with things like uh, knowing what the table name is, right? That's that's great magic. I like that, uh, at least as a convention, right? But things that, that it tries to do when it gets too smart for its own good and, and shoots you in the foot, right? It's It's one of those things like, for instance, count. Right, the count method. Depending on what the, especially in the world where you're doing chainable relations, this was not a big deal back in the two X days. Whenever you would call count and give it conditions, right? But when you have a chainable set of, you know, a relation chain, right? So you're like, where this and group by that. If you throw a group by in there and then you call count, you don't get an integer back anymore, like you would expect. You (laughs) get a hash, and and that's and, and even more magic is if you happen to count by. Uh, a symbol that, or a string actually, that happens to be the name of a belongs to association on the thing that you're counting, you'll actually get active record uh, instances for the keys, and the value will be the number of that active record instance. Wow, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, it's in my talk. You'll need to rewatch it. I did need to rewatch it. I missed that. I must have been too busy laughing over the hash thing. They, I did know about the, the hash one. And so let, let's take it to real here. So this is a great example. What Ernie described here is that you, you would expect when you call count, you get a number. And if you bank on that in your application, you may be introducing bugs. Because if somebody throws group, a call to group anywhere in the chain before you get to that count method, then you will not get a number, right? And what we're complaining about here is not that Active Record has a way to count and, and group out the column based on by what you get. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. It's that it gives you another capability. The problem is the way you handle that is you make a different method that does that, right? That then you would right. expect to get a hash back from instead of, instead of magically modifying counts behavior underneath the hood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a place where the, where the SQL abstraction is leaking up into the Ruby API. And, and, you know, polymorphism in object oriented terms is, it doesn't mean that you can break the um, the contract of the superclasses method, right? The, you, know, you always want to conf- uh, what is it? Uh, the um, I'm thinking of the Liskov substitution. Yeah, right. the Liskov Rules. substitution principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that you know the return type of a subclasses method has to be substitutable for the return type of the superclasses method that you're overriding. Right, and it, right. and Ernie has a great point about this being. A much bigger deal now in three because now Active Record is built and we are encouraged to use it in such a way that most queries are like half queries in progress, right? They're this relation concept. And then you, you tack on, you know, a couple more things on it and fire it off. And if you get one of these half queries in progress, how can you safely call dot count on it? You can't, right? I mean, you don't know. Well, was group called? Am I going to get a hash here? Or am I going to get an integer? So and to your, be only, fair, your only choice is to fire it off and then type check against the result, I guess. Well, to be fair, there is another workaround, right? You can say, you can say accept group and it'll, you know, that's actually chainable as well. The same way I think active support adds on a, on a, on a hash where you can say like, you know, hash accept and give it a number of keys you don't actually want. Um, you can do that on, uh, you can do that on a relation. You can give it the specific things you don't want. So you could say accept group count, right? But then you're changing the meaning of the query because that group may have caused certain constraints to be, to be observed that aren't going to be observed anymore based on the group not being there. So you're really changing the meaning of the query beyond just uh, what you think you're doing, right? You're thinking the, the quick solution is, oh, group is throwing my count off, so I'll do an acceptor. Now that's something else is wrong, right? I think that's kind of the whole point, right? These, these cases like the callbacks with the incredibly complicated implementation and, uh, you know, the count when they could have just defined another method that gives you, you know, some kind of of, you know, group cache kind of thingy or whatever. There are simple ways to do these things that maybe they, yeah, in, in the case of count, they definitely handle 100% of the cases. And and in the callbacks, I don't know, I'd like to see a couple of the edge cases that the that crazy complicated callback queue handles. But 
I'd be hard-pressed to sell on those. No matter what, they're definitely easier to reason about, right? In, in the way, and that's got to be worth something, you know, over the ridiculous magic. If you look at the execute grouped calculation method in Active Record, you know, even just the length of that method alone should tell you that there's a lot of magic going on there that probably shouldn't be happening. Um, I think it took like about two slides worth to scroll through uh, whenever I uh, whenever I talked about it in my talk, and it's just like that that there should be the first sign that something hasn't been fully thought out. But you know, I think going back to uh, going to really back to what Josh was talking about, there there has to be uh, a choice in how the abstraction leaks. And I just think a lot, a lot of the times that users, um, well-meaning users, have said, "I want to contribute to to Active Record, and I I use it in this way. Therefore, I think Active Record should share my opinions." Right? And I don't think we have always done a great job of pushing back uh, whenever some of those opinions. So, for instance, um, here's one I didn't cover in the talk. <coughs> Can we talk for a minute about accepts nested attributes for? Sure. Okay, maybe not just for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing about accepts nest. Well, here's one of the many things about accepts nested attributes for, right? It has side effects like enabling autosave on any associations that you use it on, which, by the way, if you go back and look, autosave was added explicitly uh, to allow for accepts nested attributes for. They came in in the same commit. It adds handling of virtual attributes like underscore destroy on these associations. And all that stuff happens at the model layer. And, and really, it's it's for essentially convenience at the view layer. And mm -hmm. between, between the autosave association and nested attributes code, you're looking at around 350 lines of code. And if you think about it, I, I kind of understand why it was implemented the way it did. What it's, what it's doing is it's trying to make you think about your associations as though they are actually attributes on the base, the parent parent model that uh, that they're on right and so that if you save the parent that all of its all of its associations because they are really just attributes of the parent anyway and so it's at least consistent in that sense right but it's misdirection and it's guaranteed to screw you over at some point and it comes specifically from that impedance mismatch that Josh was talking about oh, oh yeah so, so er, Ernie uh, I don't know how if you were like around paying attention to the discussion of that that resulted in that feature and in and in that in that commit were, were you around uh i was thing? around but not paying attention at that okay. point so so i i was actually involved in that feature development a little bit there, it was uh ryan bates uh was one of the people who got that started uh i jumped in the, I, I forget everyone who was involved uh that was you know a number of years ago but the but the the solution that came up that got committed was one that um, I wasn't entirely happy with. Uh, I don't think anyone was entirely happy with it. So I guess you call it a successful compromise. But the <laughs> but it um, I, I ended up never really using that feature, and I and I was one of the the people who was like very excited about it because <laughs> we had built something that that did essentially the same thing in our application, and it seemed to work really well. But looking back on that. What we had built for our application, our application was a pretty thin CRUD layer on top of the database. So being able to do accept nested attributes in our parent models, what was in the child models that was, you know, the nested attributes was all very simple and there was very little 
of the domain uh, layer that was exposed there. It was all just, you know, persistence. Right. And, it, and when you're dealing with things at the persistence level, which is what Active Record is really meant to do, uh, then that was really simple and straightforward. But when you start getting into, oh, we have a more sophisticated uh, domain model and it doesn't necessarily always map to persistence in a very straightforward way, that's when you start getting in trouble. Right. And whenever you look at the way that validations, for instance, factor into that autosave, right? So you get a failure because one of the, one of the many things that's associated, uh, failed to validate, right? There, anytime you start tacking much logic at all on those other, on those other objects, you're gonna, you're gonna run into pain. And, uh, and, and I just, I think that, you know, now we all look back and go, ha, huh, we should just have used form objects, right? But we weren't thinking that way a, a lot of times in, in the Rails, world and that ecosystem at that point Mm -hmm. and i think i think that we have a ton now of patterns that we've all developed to work around some of active records issues and a lot of what you see is that we really only need really need a fraction of what active record is really trying to do and so we essentially I mean, I've seen some of these patterns, right? People are implementing a repository pattern where they're using Active Record on the back end as just the way to retrieve the data, right? We end up relegating our Active Record objects to a, almost essentially a, a row data gateway. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with that analysis. I think that that um, it, and that's that's kind of sad because Active Record is more powerful than row data gateway. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can actually do a lot for you in that pattern, but uh, I. I, I'm, it feels like the active record library is overreaching the pattern. And it, so like what I say, it's reach exceeds its grasp. <laughs> so, yeah. and that, and, and that means that it actually falls down a lot in doing things that, um, it should be able to do pretty well. I'm kind of <laughs> hopeful that, um, the Ruby object mapper, which is data mapper two, it got renamed to Ruby object mapper. I'm kind of hopeful that it'll address some of that because, you know, in, in the patterns book we've been discussing mm-hmm. right here, it, it talks about how, you know, when you're, when you're out of what active record can handle gracefully, then you need data mapper. And that's mm-hmm. what the Ruby object mapper is, is finally going to be the first pure data mapper implementation. And well, well, kind of, well, there goes my, there goes my pick. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, what yeah. I was thinking is that, um, it's kind of point of view seems to be like, you know, do the active recordish stuff when it makes sense, but then when it doesn't, give you a generic interface to control the mapping however you need. And to me, something like accepts nat- nested attributes for is exactly that case, right? Where you're bringing in a bunch of objects, you know, an album and all the, all the songs on it or whatever, and you need to say, how that is mapped to the database, right? It seems like it's targeted at specifically that kind of problem. So right. Yeah, so that, what's the intervention? What can we do about all of these things? The first thing that I hope that people are doing, and the fact that you all invited me to, to talk with you is, is a great first step, right? I, I want people to talk about this stuff. It's crazy that, you know, I can post something to uh, the Rails core list talking about some of the, I think in particular, not too long ago, I was a little disappointed. And uh, let me first off state that I really like all the people that contribute to Rails. So I don't want to come off as critical of some person's feature that they've added, right? But when we added to Rails 4 the uh, 
the chainable not. So like where dot not, where if you pass, um, so are you guys, first off, are you guys familiar with this feature in, in Rails 4? No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. So in can, Rails can, can 4. You, can you just say it again? Sure. The where dot not functionality, in, right. in particular the where chain implementation. So there's a, there's a feature now in Rails 4 where if you want to negate the criteria, like you want to use the hash syntax that you would pass into where, right? So you would say like where uh, ID greater than, you know, whatever. We can't do greater than. I'm sorry. We're not, we're not using squeal. Um, so where, uh, where ID is, you know, three, right? And then you want to instead find everything except, you know, the thing that has ID three. Um, you can say where dot not. And then to not, you would pass the, the hash of the various, uh, various chunks. And, um, you have to say not first. And then you actually add the, the hash after that, right? And the way it's implemented is, uh, let's see. So there's a where chain that actually is an object that kind of acts a little bit like a normal relation, but has a very tiny subset of the methods that would be needed uh, to do that. And I'm actually going to find it real quick because it's an interesting implementation so it's, now, now where sometimes will take no arguments, right? Correct, and it defaults, <laughs> and it defaults in that case. So it defaults in that case. Basically, if you look at the implementation of where ops is, it used to say where ops and then rest, and it would capture like other arguments because sometimes people would uh, pass in essentially an array of array of things, but not use an array wrapper. And so uh, now ops defaults to a symbol named chain. And if ops equals chain, then it instantiates a new where chain. And the where chain is somewhat duct type to act like a act like a relation, but not so much because really it has just one method on it, um, not. And then that not takes whatever values you pass to it, actually calls send and this this is where it gets really crazy it sends to a private method on the scope that actually called the not to begin with uh it sends a build where and this is all you can follow along in relation query methods um a line 37 in the current version of the rails source and it actually sends to build where with the same options that you had just passed right so it gets back then the re the relation uh, the, the new where value that was being built by that build where. And then it goes through and looks at that relation and says, okay, so if it's a nodes in, an arrow nodes in, it changes it to a not in. If it's an arrow nodes equality, it changes it to a not equal. If it's a string, it wraps it in a not and so forth. And so it does its best to try to negate the things that you had passed passed in, right? But by using the functionality that was on the... And, and the whole thing is just really kind of strange uh, to me, the way that it was implemented. And so I, I raised the question because when I had first written Metaware and then later um, superseded that with Squeal, it, it all came from a discussion I had had with, uh, with Lifo on, uh, of Lifo Doc Rails. And in particular, this was, gosh, three years ago, I guess, at this point. You know, he had, he had actually been working on something that was a like, little like metalware as just a proof of concept. And he just said, you know, I think he called it super condition, right? And the whole general idea was like it was monkey patching symbol to do, to do this stuff. But I ended up, when I was talking to him, he said, what we really want to do is kind of let a few things kind of flourish as plugins and see which one really gets the most traction, seems to fit. And then we'll go ahead and roll that into core. So I always, 
when I first embarked down this path, I thought, I won't have to be the sole maintainer of this thing forever. Sooner or later, something will get pulled in, into Rails core that'll be like awesome. And this was in like the 3.0 days, right? When 3.0 beta was, was in play when I was working on this. And, uh, you know, fast forward a number of years at this point, and we still haven't really exposed that much functionality or that much access to the Errol underpinnings of Active Record. And, you know, so I was kind of asking, like, look, obviously I have skin in the game. I don't really, I don't necessarily care what we choose, but wouldn't it make sense to pick something at this point? Wouldn't it make sense to to do something that covers more than just not and doesn't have this kind of strange implementation? I had submitted a pull request to remove this uh, uh, extra extra class out of the mix because it was only going to be used for not anyway. So I just said, why not just have a where underscore not method if that's the case? And basically, it got shot down. Um, so I was just kind of like, I don't understand, you know, this, this, as far as I can tell was, it, there is a plugin for it. It wasn't really, it didn't really receive much testing. It didn't really receive much day-to-day use. Meanwhile, the stuff that I've written is getting used by thousands of people. I mean, it's got lots of watchers. It's got, you know, plenty of, I think 250,000 installs or something on Ruby gems. I'm not saying it's the way to do it. In fact, like I said, I think I'm going the wrong way in certain ways with squeal at this point, too much magic, but. I certainly would have expected that we wouldn't just roll something out that nobody really had talked about and it just it shows up one day and it still doesn't doesn't fill that gap that allows you to to access more of the arrow awesomeness that sits underneath active record. Uh, so uh, and yet we have array.tenth. <laughs> right. Right. And so it's just... dot forty second. No, 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 it's forty two. I'm oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> which which actually returns the forty first element. Right. <laughs> So I raise this stuff only because, like, I want people to talk. I don't think that we should go three plus years and not really have significant conversations around this. And when I mentioned it on Rails Core List, nobody, nobody really chimes in. Nobody has an interest in talking about this. Okay. And so that's where that's how we intervene to start. Oh, okay, so so the intervention, you know, if you, if you want to get um, a, a little a little weird about this, is is like the start of your twelve step process for some people right you know like the first step is admitting you have a problem mm-hmm. and we've and off it. we're good we can move yeah it. right well we've admitted it <laughs> so the, the the question is uh you know when do you get uh rails core to admit there's a problem <laughs> well and I, I think there are there are a number of people on rails core that that share concerns uh like that and i i talked to one member uh who I don't feel comfortable naming without his permission. Um, at one point uh, at RubyConf, actually, and I said, you know, the more I hack on Active Record internals, the more I try to hack around things and so forth, the more discouraged I get about Active Record. And he just said, yeah, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> so I think, I think a lot of people feel that way, but it's sort of, it's again one of those things where the user base at this point is so huge mm-hmm. that the amount of pain that you're going to cause people by changing some things or really removing things that should have never gone in to begin with is so great that I think people are just kind of toeing the line at this point. Well, well, what's what's that saying? The best time to plant trees is 20 years ago or right now? <laughs> right. So that's kind of where I am with it, right? It, it's going to, you know, pull the Band-Aid off, right? It's going to hurt, you know, but, but just let, let's just do it. 
but I don't know that you're going to see that. Yeah. Maybe I think. Uh, sorry, Ruby Object Mapper may start to provide some impetus right. for this. Right. So, so, so here's here's the the thing that I've been thinking about about this, and that's Active Record uh, was the only game in town for a long time, and you know, you know that was just the object relational mapping system that people used in Rails. And it was the most mature one in Ruby, so everybody used it. And everybody, you know, contributed to it. And like you said, all, all opinions are not created equal, but a lot of people's opinions got tacked in there, and it became this one-size-fits-all solution, yeah. or at least one-size-tries-to-fit-all solution. But if you, if you look at Martin Fowler's book, you know, Patterns of Enterprise Application Architecture, if I said that right. <laughs> uh, he has set like a, a bunch of different patterns to choose from for doing object relational mapping. Active, re active record is just one of them. Data mapper is another. And I think that it, it, what I was trying to say earlier is that when you try and make uh, one of these patterns into a one-size-fits-all solution, you actually hamper it from doing the thing that it's good at well. I agree. And I, and that was actually my, my biggest concern about the data mapper one project was that in, you know, rather than tr just trying to be a really good data mapper, they were also trying to have this compatibility feature where you could use it very much like active record. To be, to be clear here, data mapper one was not an implementation of the data mapper pattern. <sighs> right. It was right. an implementation of the active record pattern was some kind of things with mappiness thrown in and um, <laughs> they have since realized that was foolish and and that didn't do it right and now they're basically reversing that in, mm -hmm. in uh, rom it is an implementation of the data mapper pattern with the niceties from active record thrown in where it makes sense so right. i think that new strategies yeah. right 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 so so i mean that's good but the the thing that that I would suggest as a as a the most profitable way to pursue, pursue this stuff is let things be what they're intended to be and not try and be one size fits all and have more targeted solutions. So okay, active record is really about active record. It's not about um, you know doing all the data mapper stuff of figuring out how to map your object onto multiple tables at the same time. And it, but the the problem that you get on like the other side of that is that the transition from one pattern to another is often really hard. Right, where you have to, you, you get so far and you're like, oh, it turns out active record doesn't meet our needs anymore, so then your only option is to rip out 100% of the database code in your app and rip it. <laughs> yes. So can I say, too, that I think this is probably a great illustration of why it's not a great idea to name, name your gems after a design pattern directly? Yeah. You know, you, you lock yourself into one perception of what, what it is that you're building that may or may not be, continue to be, be accurate, right? You, it should be more about the API you're looking to expose rather than the underlying implementation. And I think sometimes we muddy the waters by naming a, naming a gem after the, after the design pattern. And I think, yeah, so, so, you know, and I actually ran this talk, uh, the intervention for active record talk by, uh, both Dan and, uh, Piotr from the data mapper now ROM team. And, um, you know, one of the things that they're doing that's great, not just renaming it, <laughs> but, uh, but also they're building it up from a bunch of smaller primitive pieces. And Dan said at the time that he hopes to be able to extend the life longer than, you know, a single monolithic thing like Active Record, right? Because of that. So it's almost like an, 
So it's a framework in and of itself, right, to build the ORM that you want. I think it's great. We've even had some of the smaller pieces have already been picks, like, by us and stuff, mm-hmm. because the, the smaller pieces are actually useful in their own right, <laughs> right? So it's very interesting. All right, okay. so we've been talking about this stuff for about an hour. Anything else before we move on to picks? I've talked plenty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Ernie. It was very uh, interesting and and uh, informative and and fun for us to you know spend tons of time being bitten by Active Record <laughs> oddities. This was good. We should we should do one of these on Active Support sometime. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I actually want to do a talk about Active Support next in in the vein of this one. I think. Mm-hmm. That's great. Have you submitted to Gogoruko yet? I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> just yet. No. just saying. <laughs> <laughs> And Josh runs up some business. All right, Josh, give us your picks. Okay, well, um, I really like that uh, ROM RB project <laughs> that James already uh, talked about. <laughs> no, no, it's it's it, so uh, ROM RB is the um, that's what they turned Data Mapper into, right? Or Data Mapper two? Yes, it's Data Mapper two renamed. Yeah. Yeah. So GitHub com ROM RB, and it has all the stuff in there. So I'm I'm. I'm actually pretty excited about where that's going now. Uh, okay, but uh, so I have a, uh, let me see what else do I have here. Oh, so Rubinius, I, not, I know we've picked it before, but I, th- I just think it's awesome that so much of the mysteries of what goes on inside MRI, you know, the C Ruby implementation are more easily understood if you look at the Ruby source code for Rubinius. So, so just this morning, I woke up and I took a look at a little chat between Eric Hodel and Aaron Patterson and James talking about some stuff in struct. And, you know, the struct.c source file in MRI is, you know, like, uh, you know, over a thousand lines long, I think, something like that. <laughs> the, um, yeah, it's a, it's around a thousand lines long. And then if you look at the equivalent file in Rubinius, it's about 200 lines long. And so I, I was trying so you can read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So I, I just want to, you know, shout out to, to Rubinius and say, you know, if you're ever just trying to figure out what the heck's going on in C Ruby, take a look at the Rubinius source code. And it's oftentimes like a much easier way to, to go if you, if you're not a real C programmer. And oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get my picks into my list here. So um, I think that's it for me this week. <laughs> All right, Katrina, what have oh, you got? Oh, oh, wait, oh wait. Actually, I, I do have a pick, another pick. It's a non non programming pick, and that's uh, uh, here in San Francisco. We have um, have a place called the Exploratorium, and it's it's uh, I, I like to call it Nerdvana. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's a an interactive science museum is the best way to put it. So if, if you, if you live in San Francisco, uh, go, go visit it. If you're visiting San Francisco, it's now much easier to visit. They just moved from, uh, their location that was sort of near Golden Gate Bridge. And now it's sort of near the Bay Bridge. It's down on the Embarcadero. So it's right by all of the easy to get to tourist parts of town. And it's, it's a great place to spend an afternoon, especially if you have kids. They have a lot of really hands-on interactive stuff that's amazingly cool. That's so, so cool that you mentioned that because I've actually been reading a travel book about San Francisco since I'm coming out for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And I read over it and I was like, wow, that sounds kind of cool. 
Yes, and um, and if you're a grown up and you don't like kids, uh, the first Thursday evening of the month they have an Adult Swim night. So so that's it for me. All right, Katrina, what have you got for us? When I last upgraded my my operating system, I'm on a Mac. They changed the way spaces work, so you just get this sort of endless list that you have to scroll sideways through, and it threw off my uh, workflow pretty significantly. Um, a few days ago, I discovered a, an app called Total Spaces by a company named A Binary Age. Um, I was actually talking to to the founder of this company in Sweden, and um, so he actually injects code into the OS to make spaces right again, uh, and it's really, really nice. So I've been using it for, I guess, three days, um, and I feel like I'm getting my workflow back to where it used to be, which is, a, you know, very helpful. So Total Spaces by Binary Age. My second pick is a person. I've been working on a talk called Hacking Passion for uh, months, um, and I presented it in Sweden, and I have had a ton of help editing and proofing um, this talk by Sarah Blackthorne. Uh, Sarah's a writer and editor and also a budding developer. She's doing a lot of like Raspberry Pi stuff and, and some Ruby stuff and um, tutorials for helping kids get into programming on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, and so if you're doing anything, talks, slides, blog posts, um, Talk to Sarah Blackthorne about maybe having her help you get your thoughts in order and um, get the flow of whatever it is you're presenting. Um, she's very, very good. That's all I've got. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the spaces thing. I used to have four spaces because then it was only one keystroke to get to any space, no matter which space I was in, right? <laughs> you could either go left or right or uh, up or down. Because exactly. They, yeah, because they were spatial, but once they lined them all up in a flat line, uh, okay. Um, so yeah, as my own picks, uh, for a technology pick, Neil Ford had this great, uh, blog post about technology radars and what they are and why you should have one, uh, your company and both like you, you. So, uh, it's very interesting read, uh, and actually something I hadn't considered. And he gets the idea, uh, of course, from ThoughtWorks. Uh, which does maintain a technology radar, and that's linked to uh, in his post, and and very uh, that that was great to go read too, just see what uh, what kind of things are currently on ThoughtWorks technology radar and what they're trying to uh, uh, to aim for and why right now. So uh, I I enjoyed that, and it's worth a look. Also, I saw some positive tweets about my pick of the Civil Wars recently, the music my brother turned me on to. So. Emboldened by that, I will uh, give you some other music he's got me listening to. This one is uh, Chris Thalay, and he's a really good instrumental uh, instrumental singer-songwriter uh, kind of guy. He plays primarily mandolin, I think. But uh, look through his stuff. When you do, go to the older stuff. And it's easy to tell because a lot of his CDs have pictures of him on the front, and he started when he was really young. So you can literally just go back through the CDs as he ages. But if you go to uh, some of the older stuff, especially Not All Who Wander or Lost, uh, is a great instrumental album. The newer stuff tends to be more singy and, and lyrical. But I tend to enjoy the other stuff. 
the other thing to not miss is his album called The Goat Rodeo Sessions, uh, which he did with three other artists, including Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, and that's probably some of the best instrumental music, mostly instrumental. There's like two songs we sing, uh, that I've ever heard. That's really great stuff. So check out Chris Filet. Those are my picks. Ernie, what do we got for us? I have two picks. First one is a book uh, that, honestly, I went back through the picks list and was shocked hadn't been picked yet because it's just so much fun. And it's also by an Ernie. Uh, so Ernie Klein's Ready Player One. If you haven't read it, it's a really quick read. Um, it's full of a lot of 80s nostalgia that, uh, frankly, you know, as a nerd who grew up then, uh, a lot of references to music, arcades. Uh, it's about It's about a... Basically, uh, a future where there's uh, Oasis, which is basically a giant MMO that everybody plugs into. And uh, uh, the guy who basically developed it was a huge fan of the 80s. And so he created this kind of game within a game that would supposedly turn over some fabulous wealth uh, or ownership of his company or some such. I, I forget the specific details. If somebody found this treasure that he you know, basically made it to the end of the game, right? And there was like a global leaderboard and everything else. Anyway, what it ended up resulting in is a future where everyone was obsessed with the 80s because it was would set you up for life if you managed to uh, to win this, this game. And um, it's just a lot of fun. Um, tons of things that'll just have you kind of nodding along. It was, uh, as I understand it, his first book. And uh, as a first effort, particularly, it's a, it's a really good effort. And it's a lot of fun. The second pick is a tool uh, called Squiggle that I've had uh, a lot of fun playing around with lately. And if you haven't um, tried it out, I'd recommend it. It's um, it's actually a tool that's designed to kind of create an office environment for people that aren't in an office. So for me, as a remote worker, I've actually had my, my whole team using it the past couple of weeks. So uh, Squiggle is really cool because it actually gives you this kind of every 10 seconds kind of update that somebody's in front of their computer, you can see a black and white photo of them that just updates. Uh, and essentially, whenever you click on that photo, you're immediately connected to them in a one-on-one video chat. So it kind of gives you that kind of somebody kind of popping into your office feeling, kind of removes some of the barriers to kind of uh, communication uh, that can happen on a distributed team. Um, certainly, that requires discipline, right? Because you need to you need to know that you might be disrupting flow. But there's also an aspect of you can kind of tell whether or not somebody's super busy or not just by kind of glancing at, you know, the look on their face or, or whatever. Playing with that toy on their desk. Or... Yeah, it, it's like, it's totally awesome. It's definitely got some some kinks to work out, certainly for a larger company like Living Social. Um, my employer, which I should have plugged, and now I am, uh, we, we probably wouldn't be able to use it as is. But for smaller teams, it is it is phenomenal. And I wish those guys the best of luck because it's uh, it's a great start to that product. Awesome. Uh, Ernie, thanks again for coming to talk to us and uh, telling us about all the craziness inside of Active Record. It was very enlightening. Yeah, hey, It was hey, a lot of fun. Hey, quick question, Ernie. I, I know I uh, bugged you about uh, submitting to Gogoruko. Do you have any, uh, any other speaking uh, gigs coming up? I do. I'm actually going to give an updated version. At least this is what the current plan is. I'm going to give an updated version of the Active Record talk. I'm sure things are going to change by the time I give it at uh, Rails Club in uh, Moscow in oh, wow. September. 
they they invited me uh, about a week after RailsConf was over, and I was like, "Yes, I would love to go to Moscow. You want to pay? Sure, phenomenal." <laughs> so so I'm really excited about that. Um, I haven't uh, planned anything else yet this year, so we'll see what happens. Okay, great. And don't forget that all of us roads are going out to Lone Star uh, in July. So come down to Austin and see us there. Say hello and catch our live show down there. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week. Oh, 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 don't forget Book Club book next week. That's right. Book Club next week. It's Explore It. Elizabeth Hendrickson. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Exploit <laughs> from Elizabeth Hendrickson. It's a prog, uh, programmer title. So uh, check it out. It's a quick read. I'm I'm about a third of the way through it, and I haven't spent very much time on it. And it's really good. I'm enjoying it. So we'll talk about it next week.